look around, you'll see that that's not where everybody is, right? There are unmarried people here with kids, and unmarried people here without kids, and married people without kids, and married people with kids, and there are people here who, if I can say it this way, are maybe a little closer to the finish line than the start line of life. Please don't look at them. That will make them feel extremely self-conscious. Um, but we're not, we're not all in the same season of life. We're in different seasons. And in, in each of these seasons, God has particular purposes. So godliness as a 22-year-old without a wife, without kids, looks differently than godliness for a 45-year-old mother of three. God has different things he's trying to get done in your life in these different stages. So there's particular purposes in those stages. And in each of those stages, in each of those seasons, God has particular grace. God knows how to care for people who are unmarried and happy, and people who are unmarried and unhappy. God knows how to care for sleep-deprived parents of toddlers. God knows how to care for uh, time-strapped parents of teenagers. In each of these seasons of life, God knows how to care. There's particular grace for each one of us. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking to God's Word to find out what His purposes are and what grace He has for us in these different seasons. So we're going to go a little out of order today, out of, out of chronological order, and we're going to look at the season of parenthood to keep in with the child dedication. Um, but before we talk about parenthood, I want to address the people here who aren't parents, because I don't want this to be your cue to sort of like take your nap, you know, store up your strength for singing. I want you to engage, and, and here's why. Two reasons. One is because... For many of you who don't have kids, someday you will have kids. And if you already have stored up in your mind and your heart what God's Word says about it, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache and you're going to have a lot of joy because you're already going into it knowing what God has for you in that stage. Um, so that's the first reason. The second reason is that we as a church are a family. That we, God calls us to bear one another's burdens. God calls us to encourage one another Every day. God calls us to, to help one another walk with Him. And so the unmarried people here, even if you don't have, have kids, even if you never have kids, God's calling you to serve and to encourage people who do. They're, they're in your community group. And they, they drop their kids off with you in Sunday school. And you're going to run into them at the grocery store and at Command Bay. And if you already know, if you've seen from God's Word what that life stage is like for them, you're better positioned to care and be a part of the family, right? We don't, we don't want just like the single guys encouraging the single guys, and the young married, the young marrieds, and the parents, the parents. We want everyone in the family working together. And so I want you, even if you don't have kids, to engage with God's Word this morning. And I also, um, I also have to think that in a room this size, there are going to be some people for whom this morning is really painful because you really wish that you were in the season of parenthood and you're not. Whether because you're not married or because... Um, you're, you've had issues with infertility or miscarriage or stillbirth. And it's really hard to watch all these happy families with their babies up front and hear a sermon on parenthood and wonder if it's ever going to happen for you. And so um, what I want to hold out for you this morning is that the same hope that God gives in his word to parents, he holds out to you, which is that there is a good God who made you and knows how to give good gifts to his children. Psalm 8411 says, of God, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk upright. Which means that even in this season, you can trust God. He's not withholding anything for your good. 
And whatever season he has you in is for your good, even if it doesn't feel good. So I hope that that encourages you to press in and to hang in there this morning. So with that lengthy introduction, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in these black chairback pockets or on the ends of the aisles on the side. Deuteronomy is towards the beginning of the Bible, the fifth book. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So Deuteronomy is a series of sermons preached by a very old Moses to the people of Israel as they're about to come into their inheritance, into the promised land. You might remember that uh, God's people had been slaves in Egypt, and God brought them out miraculously, saved them out of slavery, and brought them through the wilderness to a good land that he said he was giving them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And when they got to the land, the people refused to take the next step. They refused to enter their inheritance because the people there were big and they were numerous and they were scary. And so God's people said, no way we're doing that. And so God turned them around and sent them back into the wilderness for 40 years. Until that whole generation, all those adults that had said, we're not going to obey God, we're not going to go into the land. Until that whole generation died away. And now, in Deuteronomy, it's their children. It's these children that had maybe only ever known the wilderness, only grown up in the desert. Now they're standing on the verge of their inheritance. And so Moses knows he's not going in. Moses knows he's going to die before they enter the land. And so um, it's sort of his farewell sermons. He wants them to remember who God is and what God has done and what God wants from them as they go into the land he's given them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what Moses says pertains directly to parents. So we're going to read this together. Please follow along as I read either in your Bible or on the screen behind me. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you pray with me? Our Father, as we come to your word, as we come to the Bible, we come wanting you to speak. This is your word. This is your goodness for your people. And we want to receive it this morning. We don't want we don't want to just play games here. We want to hear what you have to say and be changed by your word. And so please God, come, Spirit, come, help us to hear and help me to speak so that we, we get all the goodness that you have for us in your word. Amen. 
So we're going to see in this passage, in, in these verses, we're going to see the parents' goal, the parents' priorities, two of them, and the parents' rest. And there should be an outline in the back of your bulletin that you have on the parents' goal, parents' priorities, and the parents' rest. So first, the parents' goal. Generations enjoying God's blessing. Generations enjoying God's blessing. If you if you look again with me at verses one to three, I'm going to pick up uh, part part of the way through verse two. It says, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, to do God's words, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses wants them to get this picture in their mind as they're standing at the Jordan River, as they're standing on the verge of their inheritance. He says, here's what I want your life to be like in the land. I want you to live a long time. I want you to have long lives of peace and enjoyment. I want you to have lots of kids and lots and big families. I want you to eat of this land flowing with milk and honey. I want it to go well with you. That's what Moses wants for them and what he wants them to have for their kids. Not just for them, but he says, this is for your son and your son's son, for your kids and your kids' kids. I want you to enjoy God's blessings. And he wants them to want that too. To go into the land, to do God's ways, and to enjoy his blessings. This, and this blessing, this blessing is a picture of paradise. It's, it's a picture of what the Bible always wants us to long for, to be in God's place, with God, living God's way. It's what Adam and Eve had in the garden when they were first made, before sin entered the world. They were with God in his good place, enjoying his love and his presence. It's what they lost when they ate the forbidden fruit and they had to leave the garden. And now Moses is saying, if you'll obey God, if you'll live his way in this land, you'll have that. You'll have paradise. You'll be in God's place with God, living his way. It's his blessing. This is what I want you to pursue. So, for those of you who are parents, what's your goal for your kids? What's, what's that greatly desired end you want to see in their life when they turn 18 or 25 or 50? What, if you saw it in their life, would make you say, ah, that's it. We did it. That's what we we're aiming at all of our lives. It's here. What is it? What's your goal for your kids? Is it, is it just to be successful in their jobs, to be financially stable, to make a lot of money, have no worries, take big trips? Is your, are your priorities for them now sort of revolving around academic success and, and being in the right activities and you know, building their resume for prep school and university? Or maybe your goal for your kids is just that they be happy on any terms, right? You don't want to put up too many guidelines, don't want to set too many boundaries. Whatever makes them happy, you just want them to run. Or maybe your goal in your parenting right now is just survival. Is there anybody in that situation? And I know what that feels like. Until, until I had kids myself, I, I didn't know how much of the time parenting just felt like making it to bedtime. Just like filling the hours until the children would sleep. Um, and, and, and none of those things is necessarily a bad thing, right? It's, it's good to want your kids to succeed. It's good to want your kids to be happy. And some seasons of parenting just feel like making it, just feel like surviving. None of those things is bad, but none of those things is best. None of those things is the best ambition for your kids. 
The best goal you can have for your kids is for them and their kids and their kids' kids to enjoy God's blessing, to rightly relate to Him, to, to live their daily lives in His presence. So, none of those other things are bad things, but when they crowd out the main thing, that's when you can have a problem. So Moses lays out this goal for us, this vision of generations enjoying His blessing. So how do we pursue it? Well, he gives us two priorities in this passage, in a very definite order. The first priority, the parents' first priority, is loving God by living out His words. Take a look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Skip to verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So you might have thought that if our goal is for our kids to love God, then the main thing would be to teach them, to teach the Bible to them, to, to discipline them, correct them, help them walk in God's ways, and that's coming. That's what he talks about in verse 7, which we skipped. That's not his first priority for parents. His first priority is to love God is to walk with God ourselves. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts. His priority is their hearts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. He says, these words, these words from God, shall be on your heart. God's priorities for parents start with their hearts. And, and the words don't stay there. They, they should have these words in their hearts, but they don't stay there. He says that we should do them. We should keep the commandments. He says that they should be on our hands and on our heads, on our doors and on our gates. That his words should characterize all of our life, not just our life at home, our life in public. It should change us. But it starts with our hearts. And this priority of keeping God first in your heart flows out of verse 4. He says, this is one of the great confessions of Judaism and Christianity. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We have one God. There is one God who loves and saves and blesses. There is one God who made the world. There is one God to whom we need to relate. One God we were made for. Only one thing can be first in our hearts. We only love one thing most, and it ought to be God. He's worthy of our love, of our devotion. And so in verses 8 and 9, Moses tells the people that in addition to having their words, God's words, on their hearts, he says that they should, they should bind it on their hands and have it on their foreheads and write it on their doorposts and write it on their city gates. And, and I, love, I love this picture. It's this picture of having God's word everywhere to remind you to keep him first. It's, and it's so true to life that we need God's, we need God, reminders of God everywhere. We need it on the doors as we go out of the house. We need it on the dashboard of the car. We need it as we walk into work. We need these reminders that God is first. These reminders of God's ways to keep Him as our first love. We're so prone to putting other things ahead of Him. And there's, there's no exceptions to that, right? Even in Cayman, which can feel like paradise, right? We still, we still need temptations to put things ahead of God. Like, parents here can be tempted to put working hard and providing for your family as a priority ahead of God, right? This is an incredibly expensive place to It's an expensive place to eat. Um, it's an expensive place to rent a house or to buy. It's an incredibly expensive place to put your kids in private school. 
And so we can have this temptation that, that our whole life is geared around. We, we need to get stable. We need to get secure. We need just a little bit more. And this pursuit can crowd out God as our first love. And if you are making ends meet, it's a place where there's such a temptation to just upgrading your car, getting a little bit nicer vehicle, a little bit roomier house, right? Moving from inland to the ocean. There can be such a temptation to just make acquiring more money, more stuff, the biggest priority of your life, more so than even God. And another rival to God here is just leisure and relaxation. So I've been thinking about this recently, about what the effect is on my heart, the fact that every day as I drive around, I see all these people on holiday, right? And they, they've got no cares in the world, right? They're on vacation, they're laughing, and, and I've got work to do, and I've got kids' responsibilities, and I've got all these things that I'm concerned about. These people are just, like, having the time of their life. So there's this temptation, right? Even for parents, like, you have friends here who aren't married, they go to Royal Palms every day after work for happy hour, they spend whole days on the beach without worrying about diapers or nap times or kids getting bored, and you just begin to think, like, the really good life is the things I can do without my kids. The really good life is what happens when kids go to bed. The really good life is the thing that happens when we get a babysitter. And you begin to build your life around the pursuit of relaxation instead of the pursuit of God. You crowd out your love for God. And it's possible, too, to make your kids the center of your life, right? Everything becomes about them succeeding, about them being happy, about their activities, and it crowds out your walk with God, your adult friendships, your involvement in church, everything becomes about your kids. They become your real God. So all of us are tempted. Parents and non-parents are like, we're all tempted to put something other than God in first place in our hearts. And none of those things will take us into God's blessing. None of those things will take us where we want to go. The best thing you can do for your kids is to love God by living out His words, by making Him a priority, meeting with Him, Reading the Bible, praying, having time, having a life in God apart from your kids. And I want you to hear me on this, because I don't want this to feel to parents like one more thing you need to do. Right? This, this is, lots of parents here are incredibly busy. We've got tons of families in which both parents work because it's so expensive here. And, and so you've got kids' activities around the margins of that. Your weekends are packed. I know the parents are crazy busy. I'm not trying to add one more thing on top of that. I'm trying to simplify things. A little bit. And here's why. Because being a godly parent is really hard, right? But it's not rocket science. To be a really good parent, you don't need to read every parenting book. You don't need to, you know, homeschool your kids through college to make sure that you, you know, get everything in the right place. You don't, you don't need to get a seminary degree or the time of devotions. You need to love God. You need to walk with God. It's the most important thing you can do for your parenting is just to have a life of God on your own. And I, I think this is actually more difficult for parents who stay home. Parents who work outside of the house, you can, you can grab a little time with God over a morning coffee, during your lunch break, after work. You've got these little spaces, but um, I know this because I know it's in my own, in my own house. For like a, a parent staying home with small kids, especially once you get a couple kids and their nap schedules don't overlap, it's just wall-to-wall -wall action. Right? It's hard to get a little time alone. And so, so if you're a parent who works and have a spouse who stays home with kids, then make this your responsibility to build a little space for them in their schedule to meet with God. Take the kids for breakfast or sit with them while they watch a DVD and make some space for your spouse to have a life in God. And if your schedule is absolutely packed, you're just totally up to your gills and activities, cut something. 
Like, your, your kids will be better off playing on one fewer team than having a mom who hasn't read the Bible for a month because she's always in demand. Right? So make space in your schedule for walking with God. It's the best thing you can do for your kids. I read a blog post this week by a Canadian pastor named Tim Chowles called The Most Important Thing My Parents Did. And he, he recalled that when he was growing up, he grew up in the church, that every family in his church went to church twice every Sunday. Every family in the church had family devotions, family worship every night. But now lots of the kids his age are not walking with God. And so he asked the question, what, what did my parents do differently? It, it wasn't going to church. It wasn't having family worship. What did my parents do differently? And this is what he concludes. As I think back, I can think of one great difference between my home and my friends' homes, at least the homes of my friends who have since walked away from the Lord. Though it's not universally true, it's generally true. Here's the difference. I saw my parents living out their faith even when I wasn't supposed to be watching. When I tipped out down the stairs in the morning, I would find my dad in the family room with his Bible open on his lap. Every time I picked up my mom's old NIV study Bible, it was a little more wrecked than the time before. I'd find a little more ink on the pages, a few more pieces of tape trying desperately to hold together the worn binding. When life was tough, I heard my parents reason from the Bible, and I saw them pray together. They weren't doing these things for us. They weren't doing them to be seen. They were doing these things because they loved the Lord and loved to spend time with Him. And that spoke volumes to me. I have the rock-solid assurance that my parents believe and practice what they preach. Here is one thing I learned from my parents. Nothing can take the place of simply living as a Christian in view of my children. Listen, the greatest influence you will have on your kids is not your words. The greatest influence you'll have on your kids is your life. If you want to see your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren loving God and enjoying His blessing, make it your first priority to love God by living out His words. Now, second, the parent's second priority is impressing God's words on your kids. So this is verse 7. You shall teach them, that is, you shall teach these words diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So the best thing we can do for our kids is to love God with all of our hearts. But then, when we love God with all of our hearts, we also need to teach our kids about God. And this verb here, teach them diligently, it means to impress on kids by repetition. To just, day by day, get the same things over and over again until they have made an impression. So they're worn in to our kids. He says that these things, we should be always talking to our kids about God's Word, that this should be woven into everyday life. He says we should talk about it when we sit in our house. So when you are having dinner together, when you're watching the Masters. He said you should, you should talk about these things when you're walking on the way. So when you're in the car, headed to school, when you're coming home from church. He said you should talk about these things when you lie down. So those kind of precious few minutes before bedtime, connecting with your kids. And when you rise. So, so when you're changing the morning diaper. Right? When you're making pancakes together. But in, in, the, in these details of everyday life, you're bringing God's words to bear on what's happening. You're teaching your kids over and over, impressing them by repetition. And I love how realistic Moses is here. Because he doesn't say, like, the way to teach your kids is four hours in the evening. You just sit them down and school them. Right? He says he knows that families are busy. And he says, 
Talk about these things when you're already together, when you're at the table, when you're on the road, when you're, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. When you're together, make God's Word part of what you're talking about. Now, this assumes a few things. It assumes that you've made the first priority the first priority, right? That you are, you've been meeting with God, God's Word is on your heart, you have something to say to your kids. And it also assumes that you spend time with your kids, right? So if you're, if you're always at work, you're always traveling, you're always distracted by your phone, this isn't going to happen, right? This happens when you're with your kids and you have something to say. And when that's happening, you're going to have wonderful opportunities. Like, you're going to get to be with your kids at the beach and just blow their minds with the fact that God made the ocean and everything in it just by speaking. Right? Hermit crabs, boom. Sergeant Majors, boom. Hammerhead sharks, boom. That's the kind of God who made the world. It's going to, it's going to blow their minds. You'll have opportunities like helping your preschooler see that when he doesn't share his blocks with his sister, that's a sin. But Jesus died so that when he doesn't share his blocks, he can be forgiven. Or you help your teenager see that when her friends all gossip about her behind her back, that God's love for her never fails. And, and in these moments, you get to paint this picture of the world in which God is this good king who made everything for himself, that we exist for him, that he gives us these good ways to live that bring us joy. You get to, I, I read this book earlier this year in which the author describes parents as the MCs of all reality. That we get to, we get to sort of in, introduce our kids to the show, right? And we get to introduce them to this amazing world and the good God who made it. We get to, we get to tell them things that they've never heard from anyone else about God and his ways. It's an unbelievable privilege. My guess is that many of the parents here are on board with this. Like you, you believe that God is calling you to be the primary teachers of your kids. You know that it's not primarily the job of the pastors, or primarily the job of the Sunday school volunteers to teach your kids about God. You, you know that it's you, but you don't know where to start. And so I want to be as helpful as I can for you this morning. So without knowing each situation, this is where I'd start. And you can sort of tweak it to suit your family rhythm. I'd say it's more important to do something small consistently than something large occasionally. So don't, don't set your hopes on kind of like a big bi-monthly family Bible day. Just a little bit of time every day. So pick a time when you and your family are already together. Right? Like at breakfast or after dinner or right before bed and get a good age-appropriate Bible storybook or kids' Bible or family devotions. And if you don't have one, we've got bunch of stuff in the back, book table, where you can ask these recommendations, right? I want, I want to help you. But pick something, and then just spend ten minutes. Ten minutes. Read a, read a story or two, and ask a couple questions, and then pray together. Right? It's, it's pretty simple, but if you start doing this every day, it's going to make a difference. And for, for like preschool kids, little kids, the questions can be very simple, right? Like, why did Adam and Eve have to leave the garden? What did God promise to Abraham? And as they grow, you can kind of get in their hearts a little bit more. Like, what do you think it felt like to wait for God to keep his promise? Do you ever feel like that? And start making connections between the Bible and your lives. And then the next morning as you're driving to school, as you're having dinner, you can circle back and ask them, do you remember what we talked about last night? And start making more connections to their life. On Sundays, you can, on the way home from church, right, as you guys leave, you get your kids and get in the car, you can ask them, what did you talk about in Sunday school? And if they have a little sheet, that will tip you off, right, because kids often... They'll forget, right? Five minutes, they'll have no idea. They talk about in Sunday school, but it's about it's about just weaving God's word into your life as a family. It's about this talking about God becoming a habit. 
So, I said at the beginning that in each season of life, God has purposes and he has grace. We've talked a lot about the purposes, about God's goal for your parenting, about the priorities you pursue. But now I want to show you that there's also grace for parents in this passage. So, I, don't, I just don't want to saddle you with this and say, like, here's what you need to do, now go. I want to give you some strength for it. So, let's look finally at the parents' rest. I've been, I've been mainly focusing this morning on what's similar between Christians today and these, these believers in Deuteronomy, right? That, um, that we both want our kids to enjoy God's blessing. That we both have this call to love God first. That we both have this priority of weaving His words into our lives to impress them on our kids. But there is a significant difference. I wonder if you noticed sort of an ominous note in the first kind of the first verses of this passage as we read them. Moses, Moses said that God commanded him to teach the people God's words that your days may be long. He says you should be careful to do them that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. So you begin to get this feeling like, wait, but are you saying that if I don't obey the commands, if I don't do it just right, that I'm not going to enjoy the blessing, that I'm not going to, it's not going to go well with me, I'm not going to enjoy a long life, I'm not going to live in the land. And that's actually exactly what Moses is saying. So the book of Deuteronomy is a covenant. It's an it's a, it's a agreement between God and his people. And God says to them, here's what I've done. I have brought you out of slavery in Egypt because I love you. I have provided for you in the wilderness. I have brought you into this good land. I'm giving you this land by grace. And your part is, love me and keep my commandments. And if you do, I'll bless you. And if you don't, if you go after another God and break my commandments, I'll curse you. It says, if you, if you obey my commandments, then you'll have, you'll have peace and security and abundance and children. And if you turn from me, then instead of peace, you're going to have enemies come and war against you. Instead of abundance, you're going to have famine. He says, if you don't obey me, I'm going to take you out of the land. Right? Just like he took Adam and Eve out of the garden. He says, if you don't obey me, if you don't keep my commandments, you're going to leave the land too. And that's exactly what happened. That the people turned from God's ways, and he took them out of the land and sent them into exile. And, and that is all to teach us, right, that we're not, it's not like we're better parents than they were. It's not like we're going to do everything right where they failed. It was, it was all to teach us that we're all going to fall short as parents as well. That if, if our kids inheriting the blessing depends on us doing everything perfectly, then we're all in a lot of trouble. So, so if that's the truth, then where can parents turn for hope? How can we expect to have God's blessing? And the way we can expect to have God's blessing is by looking to Jesus. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So here's the difference between us and these Israelites in Deuteronomy. Jesus took the curse so we could have the blessing. We could never have kept it on our own. We, we've all fallen short of, of what God has called us to do. But Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus alone deserved the blessing. Jesus kept all the commandments. He deserved the blessing, but he took the curse. He went to the cross and died so that we could have his blessing, so that we could enjoy life with God, so we could enjoy all of 
God's good gifts. And, and this, this is what it means for your parents. So whether your kids enjoy God's blessing or not, doesn't all hang on you being perfect. Because you're going to fail, right? You're going to fail today. You are probably going to fail before you get home from church. And if your hope is in being perfect, that's going to crush you. But it doesn't depend on you being perfect parents. Your kids inheriting the blessing depends on them looking to Jesus, who is perfect, who did everything right. And if, if you can just point to Him, and they can trust in Him, the blessing will come to them. And not only that, but it means that God's blessing on you doesn't waver depending on how you're doing as a parent. That God doesn't love you more when you've had your quiet time and led family devotion. He doesn't love you less when you yell at your kids in the supermarket. His love for you is steadfast because you've already received the blessing. Jesus died for you and you've trusted in Him. You're as righteous in God's sight as God's own Son. So, so you, can, you can take a breath. Right? You can rest easy. The pressure's off because God has already given His blessing and it doesn't all depend on you. Now, that doesn't mean you can just coast as a parent. right? You still are called to love God with all your heart. You're still called to impress His words on your kids. But as you do those things, you can do them knowing that God is for you. He's not sort of just waiting to drop the hammer, waiting for you to mess up. God already loves you. He's already for you. He's going to use the power of the gospel to bring your kids to Himself, not your perfect parents. You can labor as a parent out of rest in God's love. And that will make all the difference. Father, we give you thanks first for Jesus, that he lived the life we couldn't and took the curse we deserved so we could have his blessing forever, so we could know you and belong to you. Thank you that that's not just for us, but it's for our children and our children's children, that in every generation, those who look to Jesus receive the blessing. Father, I pray that you would help us to rest in what Jesus has done, and in our resting, in our joy, work hard as parents to love you, to live your words, to impress them upon our kids. And we pray that we pray that these dear children you've entrusted to these families of sunrise would love you, would walk with you, would glorify you, would bring great praise to your name. God, please bless the parents, bless them with rest, bless them with the energy of your spirit. God, please bless these families. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.